Episode two. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> um, a lot's happened over the weekend. UFC 215 came and went. There were some some exciting bits, some controversial bits, some impressive bits, some not so impressive. And I guess the best place to start is as close to the beginning as I can get. I'm not really going to cover the prelims too much just because restraints on time and everything else have kind of made it a little bit a little bit impossible at the moment. But what I will do is cover one fight from the prelims that I feel needs to be talked about. The Gavin Tucker-Rick Glenn fight was overseen by arguably the worst referee of all time. I mean, he made he made Steve Mazzagati look acceptable, and that's really saying something. For those that didn't watch the fight, the first the first round was relative, relative, relatively competitive on both sides, with Gavin Tucker getting dropped about a minute out from the end of the first round. Uh, he ate some strong elbows. And and some and some sort of overhands as he got back up, but for the most part he went back to his stall at the end of the first round in one piece and and relatively together and came out super aggressive at the beginning of the second. The second round saw Rick Glenn throw like a ton of elbows and just like some really really solid striking, some excellent counter punching. He uh, he kept a like he kept a good pace. He was very consistent and and very patient with with his approach to everything. And it's and 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 Gavin Tucker took he took somewhat of a pace in towards the end of the second round. Like he went down hard at, at, at about a minute out from the end of the round. I suppose he went down hard again. Ate a lot of hard elbows. Had. Rick Glenn in the, on the top position on the ground, just raining down punches and and elbows and and gave him a real a real 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 beating towards the end of the round. Now coming out into the third, Gavin Tucker was was noticeably fatigued, looking really tired, slow, sloppy sort of attacks, and to his credit, Rick Glenn took over, laid down. A very, very impressive third round. And Gavin Tucker threw a very, very sloppy, very weak takedown attempt about halfway through the round. And it resulted in him taking a, a significant beating from Rick Glenn. A, like, a really significant beating. Now, the reason that everyone's so up in arms about this referee is that there are about six points in this third round where the fight could have been stopped. Legitimately good stoppages would have protected Gavin Tucker like significantly but instead his referee decided that he wanted to sit back and just let it all play out and the result of it was that was that Tucker took way way too much punishment like there, there was a point where it was just it was just hard to watch it was it was it was completely unnecessary and the only reason that he took that much punishment is because the referee failed to do his job properly he failed to stop the fight when he needed to there was a point where gavin tucker finally made it back to his feet about 15 seconds 20 seconds towards the end of the round and he ate two solid head kicks which he had no business taking and it was purely his own toughness his own 
his own aggression and his own willingness to stay in the fight that kept him standing up. That fight should have been stopped minutes before. And, and it's a real shame because Rick Glenn put out a truly, truly brilliant performance. And it's a shame that a performance as good as that is going to be marred by bad refereeing. And, and, and the fact that Gavin Tucker took so much punishment, so much unnecessary punishment, is going to overshadow the great performance that Rick, that Rick Glenn put out. The idea of these referees is to protect the fighters. Like, that's the only reason that they're in there, to make sure that they follow the rules, that no one's doing anything they shouldn't be doing, and to protect the safety of the fighters. If they're taking too much damage, to, st to step in and stop the fight. It's the, it's the main purpose of them being there. And I understand that the, f that the referees aren't employed directly by the UFC. They're part of whichever athletic commission they're being sanctioned by. But... This referee, his name was Kyle Cardinal. He had no business being in there. He had absolutely no business being in there. And I saw Dana White live tweeting saying that 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 Kyle Cardinal needs needs to, to get his ass whooped himself. And I think he's right. I don't I don't think he really had any idea of the damage that Gavin Tucker was taking and that and, and of the effect that it can have on his career in the long term. There's a lot of people that take these horrific beatings like that and they never come back the same. Terry Etham never came back the same after getting knocked out by Edson Barboza and that was that was a clean knockout. It wasn't a prolonged battering like like Gavin Tucker took this weekend. And it, it it's like I said, it's a real shame. It do, it does people some serious damage. And the last thing anyone wants is for someone to have their career shortened or even ended because of bad officiating. So that's, that's about all I have to say about that. Kyle Cardinal needs to go back to the minor leagues. He needs to get some more experience. And he needs to, he needs to learn when someone's taken enough. It was, it, was, it was really hard to watch at points. That being said, the main card had some... Four, well, four or five absolutely outstanding fights. Uh, it started with Jeremy Stevens and Gilbert Melendez. Jeremy Stevens putting on an absolutely amazing performance. Very composed, very consistent throughout, start to finish. Um, one thing I have to clear up from the last podcast is that I was a, I was under the impression that this fight was at £155, and it wasn't. It's the first time in over a decade that Gilbert Melendez has cut down to 145 and fought a featherweight. I believe the last time he did it was maybe in Pride or Strike Force, but either way, it was it was a good it was a good ten years ago. Coincidentally, Jeremy Stevens debuted in the UFC over ten years ago. Something I learned this weekend. He debuted at UFC 76 against Dean Thomas when he was 21 years old. I believe this was his like 25th or 26th. UFC fight, which is just unbelievable. For someone to stay at the level that he's been at for, for 10 years was what well, was and, and is incredibly impressive. And it's a testament to Jeremy Stevens as a fighter because he's still, even through those 10 years, he hasn't got a lot of miles on him, really. He hasn't taken a, 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 lot, a great deal of damage. I mean, he's inflicted a lot on other people, but he's still... He's still 10 years in, very sharp, very composed, very fighting at a very, very high level. And looked better, arguably better than ever this weekend. Um, 
Coincidentally, he also postponed his wedding so that he could fight this weekend, which was which was crazy. Um, the real story of this fight was was Jeremy Stevens' leg kicks. Like he hit Gilbert Melendez with some seriously hard, like powerful leg kicks in the first round, and it and it ruined Gilbert Melendez's leg. It absolutely ruined it to the point where. Towards the end of the first round, he was he was taking leg kicks and full and and hitting the floor because he couldn't stand on his left leg anymore. He took some real, real, real damage. They got a doctor in at the beginning of the second round just to make sure that there was nothing sort of structurally wrong, that there wasn't anything broken or no serious damage to his knees. And he turned out that he could just tough his way through it and 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 still at the beginning of the second came out hard and aggressive and and still very very much in the fight he employed this very sort of crafty veteran tactic of switching stances while he was moving in so he'd he'd switch to southpaw while he was moving in towards jeremy stevens and then when he got in striking range and it was it was sort of impractical for Jeremy Stevens to throw any kicks, he'd switch back to the orthodox stance, throw off whatever it was that he needed to throw, and as either he moved back or Jeremy Stevens moved away, he'd switch back to southpaw to protect that really damaged left leg. Um, despite his best efforts, though, he was dropped twice due to leg kicks again, uh, with about, uh, first time at about two minutes to go, and the second time within the sort of last 10 seconds and it's something that the commentary team commented on uh during the fight and it's something that i noticed as well that jeremy stevens decided when gilbert melendez hit the ground to go to the ground with him now logic sort of says that you'd encourage him to stand back up because he's weakened on his legs and it would make life a lot easier for for jeremy stevens but he chose on multiple occasions to go to the ground with gilbert which Although he's 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 had a very severely diminished leg, he's still dangerous. Like Gilbert Melendez is is dangerous on the ground. He's a he's a very high level jiu-jitsu competitor, and and it's something that most people would choose to avoid going to the ground with him. So it's a testament to Jeremy Stevens that he decided to do that, and uh, and I think regardless of 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 the, the the reasons that he did it, it still paid dividends for him. He got down, got in top position, laid down some heavy ground and pound. Um, the third round was the sort of... It was a sort of... Um, it was a sort of more technical round of the three, I suppose. Um, both guys employing a lot of excellent footwork, good movement, a lot of circling and, and lateral movement. Jeremy Stevens, especially, using that footwork really well to set up combinations... Again, a lot more leg kicks. Uh, dropped Gill again uh, two or three times with leg kicks. And again, a couple of times deciding to go to the ground, a couple of times letting him get back up. There was a couple of times where, like the first time that he dropped him in the third round, Gilbert Melendez got straight back up. And Jeremy Stevens openly and visibly applauded his toughness in the cage, like while they were still fighting. It was... I mean, Gilbert Lenders is one of the toughest people on the planet. And if, if anyone watched his fight with Diego Sanchez, which is something that I brought up on the on my uh, pre-fight podcast, he's one of those guys that when the going gets tough and, and he gets a little bit hurt, he just bites that mouthpiece down and just starts swinging. 
and he's not afraid to to get punched and he's not afraid to take two or three to give you one or two in return so it was it was a testament to Gil's toughness it was a testament to Jeremy Stevens' game planning and his ability to stick to a game plan and and follow the instructions from his corner as they were giving him almost to the second and almost sort of to the letter like it was it was a really 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 excellent performance from him one Jeremy Stevens a unanimous decision victory obviously I mean he dropped he dropped Gilbert I think five times six times throughout the entire fight it was just yeah a masterful excellent performance from Jeremy Stevens um following that was Elia Latifi and Tyson Pedro at 205 uh Tyson Pedro was an interesting one coming in because he was he's he was undefeated at 6 and 0 but he those six fights had spanned a grand total of 17 minutes. Uh his longest fight coming into this was 4 minutes 10 seconds and it's for, for fighting a guy at Ali Latifi's level it's a, it's not a great deal of experience. Also he is one of the only people uh, one of only seven people ever According to to the guys on the broadcast, he's one of seven people ever to finish a fight from the mounted crucifix position, which is which is very rare, um, and it's very it's a very hard thing to do. It's it's a very impressive thing to do. Um, Alir Latifi was one of the guys that trains with Alexander Gustafsson and and his his all star team out in uh, Sweden and he's been out of the cage for a long time he's been out for a year plus um, he came, he, he's coming back off of off a, a nasty KO loss to Ryan Bader and and I like the fact that he took a year off I like the fact that this is becoming more of a trend we saw Jose Aldo do it after he got knocked out by Conor McGregor we saw Robbie Lawler do it after he got knocked out by uh, Tyron Woodley and it's nice to like they take the time to let their body and their brain heal properly and maybe work on some of the holes that are in their game iron out some of the creases and 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 make some improvements in areas that is needed and for for this fight that year layoff paid dividends for for Alir Latifi i mean not to say that he steamrolled Tyson Pedro by any stretch of the imagination but it was it was a pretty decisive unanimous victory win i mean he did a he did an excellent job of of pushing uh pedro up against the cage and and making him really grind and carry his weight and his takedowns were were excellent tyson pedro did a very good job of 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 controlling what Alir latifi did on the ground like he forced him into the north south position a couple of times so that he could rotate himself and explode back to his feet and he had some very creative very strong kicks a lot of feints like he he by no means got steamrolled um but going into the third round he was he was noticeably fatigued and Alir Latifi was still very explosive at all times and he still had plenty of movements he was still throwing up plenty of feints and um and still pushing Tyson Pedro up against the fence and really making him grind. He he got Tyson Pedro to the ground eventually as well, got himself into top position, got 
um, some really, really heavy ground and pound off and, and won himself a very decisive, unanimous decision. And it's going to be interesting to see where Alila Latifi goes next. I mean, 205 is a division that is somewhat up in the air at the moment. And they're somewhat short on challengers as well. I mean, we're going to have to see how this whole John Jones thing plays out. See what happens with his with his test results. There's still no more news on that yet. But within the top sort of the top ten of the of the light heavyweight division, it's a bit it's a bit strange. Obviously, you've got Alexander Gustafsson up there. You've still got Daniel Cormier up there. Jimmy Manua is still up there, um, and a few others. But it, it's somewhat thin on the ground in 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 terms of legitimate contenders. So. Seeing how Ali Latifi fits into that moving forward is going to be interesting. And there's a lot of very interesting and potentially very exciting fights for him coming up over the next few months. Following that was the uh, Henry Cejudo-Wilson-Hayes fight at £125 at, um, <coughs> excuse me, at flyweight. Uh, both these guys, former title challengers, both fought Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, both lost to him. Um, I felt like when Henry Cejudo fought uh, Mighty Mouse, he was he was kind of a baptism by fire. He was a somewhat inexperienced, hadn't been in the UFC that long. He'd only been fighting professionally for three years at that point. I mean, obviously he's he was in the uh, in the US Olympic uh, wrestling team and. He's well because of that. He's got a very legit ground game, and his striking was was so so. It wasn't at a really high level, but it was it was enough to get him to a title fight. But I think the fact that he, I mean, he got utterly outclassed and destroyed in the first round by Mighty Mouse, and I think that a large part of that was was probably down to Mighty Mouse being as good as he is. But it had, some of it has to fall on the fact that Henry Cejudo was somewhat inexperienced going into it he also off the back of that lost to Joseph Benavides but outside of those two losses he's he's undefeated in MMA uh, he's never been taken down still has never been taken down uh, in a in what has so far been a three year UFC career and to go three years without, without being taken down is in in any division is very impressive and he pre-fight on Saturday, looked very calm, very composed, very together. Like he knew that he'd been through the ringer, he'd been to the highest level, and and he'd experienced what it was like up there. And I think that there's a certain amount of calm that must come with that. You know what the top of the mountain is, and you kind of know what to expect from everyone else, being that they're not on the same level as Mighty Mouse. Like you know that there's a peak that you can hit before you get to that real real top of the mountain peak uh level um the first round for this was was really interesting because henry cejudo came out in a, in a in a way that we've not really seen him before he's very wide very low mimicked that well he didn't mimic it but he had the same sort of stance that we've seen employed by conor mcgregor and uh and leota machida and uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, a lot of these these karate guys, very low, very wide, very rangy, um, and it allows it allows you to really explode into kicks and explode into punches in a way that a lot of other stances don't. I mean, it has its it has its downsides because you you leave your front leg very exposed to leg kicks, and 
if your movement is not completely on point at all times, it leaves you open to takedowns, somewhat single leg takedowns especially, somewhat. Um, but Henry Cejudo, he looked, he looked fantastic. He was very creative, very calm, very composed, like I said before. It just shows unbelievable takedown defense and unbelievable leaps and bounds in the quality of his striking. He, uh, he had a very huge first round, very dominant first round as well. Mixed his strikes up beautifully, got very creative with it. And what you could see he was going back to his corner at the end of the first, or back to his stall. Very confident, <coughs> excuse me, and very, <coughs> very comfortable in in the style that he was fighting in. Uh, Wilson Hayes came out in the second round, right at the beginning of the second round, a lot more aggressive, a lot more urgent, um, as if he was trying to relieve some sort of frustration from his from his from his somewhat lackluster first round. But 25 seconds into that second round, Henry Cejudo landed one of the fastest straight right hands I have ever seen in my life. It was like Wilson Hayes got shot with a cannon. So powerful, so fast. Drops him to the ground. Some super heavy, super, super, super brutal ground and pound. And that earned Henry Cejudo his first stoppage win in the UFC. Um... Just a, a, a masterful performance from him. It was, it was very, very, very impressive. I'd like to see Henry Cejudo take some more time before trying to get back to that title fight again. I think there's some other interesting fights for him at 125 to kind of help him grow and get some more experience and and really explore this new style that he's got because it's something that if he nails it, based on his performance on Saturday, it's gonna it's gonna pay. It's going to pay some serious dividends for him moving forward. It's uh, it's not really, in my eyes, too wise for him to kind of rush towards that mighty mouse fight again because I think, I think there's some there's some serious evolution that could happen here that could turn him into a really, a really dangerous, really legit challenger for mighty mouse if he keeps going on the way that he's going. Following that, excuse me, I'm just going to get just a little bit of a drink here. Sorry. Following that was the Neil Magny Rafael de Sandros fight at 170 pounds up at welterweight. Um, RDA has looked fantastic in his debut at welterweight. He fought Tarek Safadin, a very decisive, very powerful win there, and he's obviously got a long line of very impressive wins when he was down at lightweight. Like his his. Absolute destruction of Anthony Pettis. His two very powerful wins over Cowboy Cerrone. Um, and the list there goes on. He destroyed Nate Diaz. Like he's got a very impressive list there. And to see him stepping up to to one seventy with no real weight cut, or not on the level that it was before. It's a it's a much much like significantly less of a weight cut. He looked thicker and more muscular, more shredded than uh, than he ever has before. But saying that, Neil Magny is 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 one of those guys, he seems to be a fighter's favourite or like an educated fight fan's favourite, but f to an extent gets slept on by the public, which is, which is a shame because he's very dangerous. He's very, very, very good on the ground and he's got cardio that seems to last forever. The man just seems to never get tired. But that being said, um, unfortunately for the, for him on 
on on Saturday, he got absolutely run through by Rafael dos Santos. It was a uh, it was a very 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 dominant performance for him. Took him straight to the ground. RDA's got such a powerful ground game, especially on the top. He's so great at controlling positions and controlling his head, uh, his opponent's head and arm positions. <clears throat> Nasty, nasty ground and pound. He had some real horrible knees to the body. His jump to the mount, at the, as as he sort of started ramping up his finish, he he sort of he he went for the mount, and and as Neil Magny was adapting, switched to side control, and then from there just bounced, just leapt into mount. and just dropped some serious elbows and and managed to finish the fight. Uh, a little over, a, a little under four minutes in, with a with a, a super tight arm triangle, it was a very very impressive performance of him. And moving forward for him now is is when it's going to get really interesting because he's, I mean he was ranked tenth before, but I can't see how how beating Neil Magny, who was ranked sixth, should. Push RDA up into the top five, where there's some really, well, top six maybe, but th there's some really interesting, really potentially super exciting fights there. I mean, that top five is is a murderer's row when you think about. It, you've got like uh, obviously Tyron Woodley at the top. You got Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Robbie Lawler, Damian Meyer, Carlos Condit. Like the list goes on and on, and they're all they're all very very technically interesting fights. There's like obviously Carlos Condit is a very high level striker as is Robbie Lawler and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Damian Meyer is an absolute wizard on the ground and it, but I'd like to see how RDA deals with that. But in terms of in terms of Saturday he couldn't have put on a better performance. He he looks he looked like an absolute world beater and it sets him up real nice moving forward into 170. Neil Magny I'm not a hundred percent sure where he's going to go from here, but I don't necessarily think that it's going to do him too much damage to to lose the way that he did to RDA. I mean, RDA he's he's so legit and he's so dangerous that you you almost, especially without a weight cut on the same level that he was before. I mean, you have to bear in mind him making weight at one fifty five very nearly killed him on more than one occasion. He was so depleted. And so drained that it might it had to affect his performance, especially in when you look at like the Eddie Alvarez fight. It had to it had to affect the way he performed. Now the main event, the Valentina Shevchenko Amanda Nunes fight, was arguably the most controversial of the night, bar the previous disaster of Carl Cardinal's refereeing. Um. It's a very interesting fight, a very technical, very, very much a, a, a sort of chess match of a fight, as it were, very cerebral. Um, I'm going to break it down round by round because I think there's a point where where the fight could go either way, and it's a very subjective, it's a very subjective decision to make. It all depends on what you look for in a fight and what the, compared to what the judges are looking at, and we all know that the judges can't necessarily be trusted. So this is how I broke it down. Round one, I gave to Amanda Nunes. Um, she, she's 
She had a relatively slow first round. It was very much uh, a feeling out round, but she threw some some nice leg kicks and some nice jabs and some feints. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko threw. She's got such beautiful counter striking that was very effective in the first round. But I gave Nunes the first purely because she was more aggressive, and I think she landed more, and she she controlled the direction and the pace of the fight very much so in the first round. Um, the second round I gave to Valentina Shevchenko because she came out a lot more aggressive, a lot more a lot more productive. She used her footwork a lot more. She kept a much better pace, higher output. She had great movement and she was using this Superman or as Daniel Cormier called it, a superwoman punch to set up. Like she was, she threw it four or five times and used it to set up kicks and combinations. And, and I really think that, that, it was very impressive, and I think her that coupled with her aggression, her movement, and her ability to control the pace and direction in the second round gave it to her by, by a country mile. The third round is the one that I think is the most controversial. Um, personally, I gave it to Valentina Shevchenko for, for a couple of reasons, really. It was a relatively even round. Um, but I don't think Amanda Nunes landed more. I don't think she was more aggressive. I mean, these are—they're both marginal, but I think they play a factor. And Valentina Shevchenko just seemed a little bit more composed, a little bit more in control. And also, it was in the first two rounds. Amanda Nunes was warned once in each round for moving forward with her fingers pointed out. As if, um, as if you're sort of reaching for something, like with your hand horizontal. Um, Big John McCarthy, obviously the, the gold standard of refereeing, stopped the fight for a few seconds in the third round to pull Amanda Nunes to one side to to warn her about it and said, if you're going to keep continue to do this, I'm going to have to take points. You cannot do it. It's a penalty. And that was... That was a contribute. It's not. I'm not saying that's the reason that I gave Shevchenko the round, but it's a contributing factor. Uh, the fourth round, I I also gave to Shevchenko for just just for purely for her her counter and power punches. She tagged Amanda Nunes hard a few times, and she just she just showed this amazing ability to move in and out, lightning quick. She, 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 she just looked like she was on another level in the fourth round. She had a very, very strong finish to the round as well. Very, 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 very powerful finish. And then the fifth round went to Amanda Nunes. I think everyone gave it to her just purely because of takedowns. But the thing that annoyed me was once she got Valentina Shevchenko to the ground, she just sat on her back. And I counted 22 seconds where she did nothing. She just sat on her back and held on and literally didn't move a muscle. Didn't didn't try and, and progress her position. Didn't try to, to improve or even land any strikes. She literally sat still on her back for 20 seconds. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think I think giving someone a round based purely on the fact that they got two takedowns is a little bit insidious and a little bit it's a little bit disingenuous, but 
it, it is what it is. It's, 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 I think she won the round kind of regardless of the takedowns. So I had it with Amanda Nunes winning rounds one and five and Valentina Shevchenko winning, winning two, three and four. I think, if I remember right, the judges gave Amanda Nunes one, three and five. And more than that, there's always the argument that you have to beat the champion. You have to, you have to do it by a sizable margin. It's a lot of the reasons why, why Daniel Cormier. I mean, the, 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 some people said that the Daniel Cormier John Jones fight, the first one, was relatively close. I, I don't know if they were watching the same fight I was. I thought John Jones won it by a mile. But the thing is, to beat a champion, you have to beat them, and you have to do it decisively in a way that everyone can be unanimously agreed that you beat that person. I think trying to win a championship on a on a on a split decision is is a very rare thing and it's not necessarily considered the most legitimate way to do it. They it tends to be I mean obviously if you beat them on the scorecards you beat them on the scorecards but it doesn't feel as definitive as a as a five round unanimous decision beatdown or or a stoppage. I think I think there's some interesting fights for Amanda Nunes coming forward, and I think there's some interesting fights for Valentina Shevchenko coming forward. She's been on about dropping down to 125 once this season of the Ultimate Fight is finished, and there'll be some really really interesting fights there. Amanda Nunes has been talking about going up to 145. And that poses a lot of interesting fights as well. Most notably, Cyborg. Like, I want to see Cyborg fight everyone. So to see Amanda Nunes fight up, uh, move up and fight for that title up there as well would be, would be a real treat. She's got some of the nastiest striking that I've ever seen in women's mixed martial arts. And I think this fight... Well, I don't think... I, I heard the guys on the broadcast say it, and I, and I had to agree with them. This is the most high-level women's MMA title fight I think we've ever seen like there's never been two more technical two more dead de decorated strikers going at each other and was it the most exciting fight in the world probably probably not but from a technical point of view and from a and from a kind of treating it as a chess match problem solving point of view it was fantastic. The, the, their, both of their abilities to to adapt and move and 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 change things up throughout the fight were were fantastic. And and hopefully, if we're really lucky, they'll throw it back and they'll do it again. Because there's no way that that I wouldn't want to see it again. And I think I think that can be like I'd, I wouldn't say it's a consensus, but I'd say there's a lot of people that wouldn't mind seeing it again as well. So. Moving forward from here, uh, there's a few cards coming up. Obviously, UFC 216 coming up with the Tony Ferguson, uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Lee fight for the interim lightweight championship. That's going to be a that's going to be an electric fight. I can't wait for that. There's some other top fights coming up on that. But before that, there's a couple real treats. There's the return of Luke Rockhold, and there is Canelo Alvarez is fighting Gennady Golovkin. Which I think, for me, is going to be, in terms of boxing, is going to be the fight of the year. Um, I'm going to get stuck in and do my research for those this week. I will have a breakdown for the return of Luke Rockhold. 
hopefully within the next few days, if not within the next week. And I'll definitely have a, a, a pre-fight breakdown for Canelo and, and Triple G as well. On a little bit of a side note as well, Cowboy Cerrone just had another fight announced. He is coming back in about a month. He is headlining a Fight Pass card in Poland. He is fighting, I believe his name is Darren Till. And it's a quick turnaround for Cowboy, which is something that I like. He seems to be at his best when he's kept active and when he's he has very short layoffs in between fights. So it's going to be interesting to see see how he comes back. Obviously, he's coming back off uh, off a, a, a loss to Robbie. Wait, well, he's off. He's coming back off two losses in a row. He lost to Jorge Masvidal and Robbie Lawler back to back. So he's gonna. I'm sure he's gonna come back with a fire in his belly and ready to get it done. And there's some other interesting fights on that card as well, which I'll get into over the next couple of weeks. But until then, until I've got my head stuck into stuck into everything that's coming up, if you could please go to iTunes and click the subscribe button. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave me a review. Stick five stars on it and, and I'll give you five stars in return. Uh, and obviously, same as last time, if you enjoy what you're hearing and you think other people would enjoy it as well, please, I implore you to share it on social media, Facebook, Twitters, Instagram, wherever you can, and just and just get it out there as much as you can. So I'm going to get off, I'm going to get started at work, and I'll get some research done, and I'll talk to you in a few days. One love.